Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. China ramping up their threats against Taiwan after days of military exercises. We have a massive backlog when it comes to arming the Taiwanese. Senate Democrats announce an investigation into Justice Clarence Thomas for alleged ethics violations. But it's not really about this anyway. None of this is about Justice Thomas having a super wealthy friend. Fed Chair Jerome Powell is warning of a possible credit crunch. If businesses can't get a loan, they can't uh, pay uh, their employees, they can't pay their bills. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, April 12th. I'm Mike Scott. On Monday, China's military says they're, quote, ready to fight, end quote. After completing three days' worth of military drills that were launched in response to the Taiwanese president's trip to the U.S. last week. China's military says it is ready to fight following three days of large-scale combat exercises near Taiwan. Chinese state media reports the army was practicing how it would seal off the island territory. Taiwan's defense ministry says it spotted nearly 90 aircraft and a dozen Chinese ships this morning still operating nearby. And take a look at this. China's military released this short animation of simulated attacks on Taiwan. You can see animated missiles firing from the land and the sea, two of them exploding into flames when they hit their targets. The video gives the world a glimpse into how China believes its takeover of Taiwan would go down. So now the question is, how worried should we be about China's war games becoming reality? Reporter Kelly Meyer says that while the White House is trying to calm China's concerns, they are keeping an eye on what Beijing will do next. Today we heard from the Secretary of State who says the goal here isn't to engage in a new Cold War. The White House says there's no need for this kind of reaction from China to a meeting from uh, between Taiwan's president and the U.S. House Speaker saying that this is routine and normal. But now the Biden administration says they are watching China's next move very closely. According to military experts, China's drills are a means to intimidate the small island nation while they practice using methods that they wish to employ in the event that they do try to annex Taiwan. Jimmy Quinn is a national security correspondent for National Review. He joins the Salem Radio Network and says that even though China may be ratcheting up threats, there is some good news. It's a very worrying time, but uh, there's been a silver lining here in the uh, the uptick in diplomatic interactions between the U.S. and Taiwan. We've seen uh, many dozens of trips that lawmakers have taken to Taiwan in recent months over the past, you know, two or three years. Um, and capping that off uh, were 
last August, Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, and more recently, the Taiwanese president's visit to the United States to meet with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, so this is a very bipartisan thing where members of Congress on both sides of the aisle are saying they're not scared of Chinese bullying, and they're ready to fully support uh, uh, U.S. partners in Taipei. However, Quinn does point out that China is serious about trying to retake Taiwan and says that the U.S. needs to do much more to prepare. Most serious observers would tell you that we need to do a lot more and fast to ensure that we are prepared to deter a Chinese military assault on Taiwan. I, I don't think that's a very controversial thing to say. Uh, we, we have a massive backlog when it comes to arming the Taiwanese and uh, ensuring that they have the weapons that they need uh, to turn Taiwan effectively into what people call a porcupine, bristling with uh, all of these sort of uh, stinger type missiles and harpoons, weapons that you can use to shoot down Chinese planes and uh, to go after Chinese vessels that are crossing the Taiwan Strait. Um, so we need to do a lot more on that front. And uh, at the same time, uh, you know, we, we need to do more to ensure that uh, our military, the U.S. military, is prepared to do this. The National Review correspondent says that the U.S. defense production line needs to shake the rust off. And if there's one thing that we've learned over the past uh, few years uh, with what we've seen with Ukraine and with um, sort of these supply chain issues uh, during covid uh, and and other related things is that uh, the defense industrial base uh, is not ready uh, to rev into mass production mode. Uh, the Pentagon is working on this. The defense industry is working on this, and and they're making a lot of progress. Um, but uh, there's there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And the the troubling thing uh, is that uh, the Chinese say that they want to be ready by 2027 uh, to be able to uh, seize Taiwan uh, and to annex it. Um, that doesn't mean that an attack will come in 2027. That's just the date by which uh, the Chinese want to be capable of executing such an attack. Quinn says that after speaking with Taiwanese lawmakers, he's confident that while they rely on weapons from America, they are willing to fight for their own country. So I've spoken to lawmakers in Taiwan from uh you know, both major parties there, the uh, more, let's call it hawkish uh, DPP, which is currently in power, uh, and uh, the KMT, uh, which uh, wants to see deterrence, but also more conversation with China to prevent a conflict. Um, and I, I, I think the general consensus that I heard is that they're sure that the U.S. will do something in the event of a Chinese attack on Taiwan. Uh, they, they don't know what uh, form that will take, whether that means uh, we're just going to send the seventh fleet into the Taiwan Strait uh, and, and kind of hang out there, or uh, whether there's going to be a more direct US military in intervention uh, involving US service members. Um, but they're, they're expecting some kind of support right now. But the other line that I've heard from the Taiwanese government is that regardless of what the U.S. does, Taiwan has to be ready to fight. And they say that they're willing to defend uh, their country. Quinn lays out what he believes will be the fallout for America should China invade Taiwan and the U.S. does nothing to help the Taiwanese.
this matters to Americans. Uh, the impact that we saw after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, where um, energy prices spiked, the, the price of goods around the world went up, um, uh, there's this impact on the global food supply. We're going to see, uh, you know, uh, very essential economic and supply chain effects just like that, uh, but perhaps 10 times more, 20 times more, even, you know, uh, e even more than that, potentially. Um, this is going to ensure that uh, if, if a Chinese invasion does occur and if it is successful, Americans will be less safe uh, and they'll be less prosperous. Meanwhile, in the South China Sea, the U.S. 7th Fleet sent its guided missile destroyer USS Milius into a freedom of navigation operation. Leaked documents suggest U.S. spies caught Russian intelligence officers boasting that they had convinced the oil-rich United Arab Emirates to work together against the U.S. and U.K. intelligence agencies. Daybreak Insider's Charles de Ledesma has the very latest on that critical intelligence leak. The purported document was posted online as part of a major U.S. intelligence breach. Officials have declined to comment on the document, which had top-secret markings and was viewed by the Associated Press. The Emirati government has dismissed the allegations that the UAE had deepened ties with Russia as categorically false. But the allegation comes at a time of growing US concerns about companies in the UAE helping Russia thwart international sanctions imposed over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I'm Charles Dilladesma. On Tuesday, Democrat senators announced they were calling for the Supreme Court to investigate Justice Clarence Thomas for failing to disclose reported luxury trips funded by a Republican donor. However, Justice Thomas said he did not think he needed to report those trips. The Senate Judiciary Committee Democrats have also announced they will hold a hearing on Supreme Court ethics and warned of legislation if the court does not resolve the issue on its own. Democrat Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut explains what he and his fellow Democrats want. We're asking not only for Chief Justice Roberts to investigate, but also that the Supreme Court adopt a code of ethics. It's the only, literally the only branch or body in government, the only office that has no code of ethics. They think they're above it. And I've demanded for years that a code of ethics be adopted. I think we'll move legislatively toward one, and we will have a hearing in the Judiciary Committee about the ethical standards that this justice, at any rate, has failed to abide by. Blumenthal goes on to lay out why he believes it's so important for fellow Democrats to act now. If Chief Justice Roberts fails to lead the court toward ethical standards, he will forever leave a stain on the court's legitimacy and his own legacy. The court, you know, has no private armies. It has no police force. The reason its rulings are obeyed is because people trust its integrity. It has credibility and independence. But the more it does to violate these ethical standards, the more it endangers that kind of credibility. Appearances are really important. So I believe if he fails to investigate, the Judiciary Committee should consider doing so. 
and adopt a code of ethics. Meanwhile, many political and legal experts feel this is much ado about nothing, as they believe Thomas has zero legal obligation to disclose where he goes on vacation to journalists or anyone else, regardless if they're considered to be luxury trips or not. Molly Hemingway, author and senior editor at The Federalist, agrees with many other pundits in saying there was no need for Thomas to disclose any of the trips or gifts he was given by a wealthy donor. These attacks on Justice Thomas have been going on for well more than 30 years. Yes, in the Beltway, there is a report from a left-wing media group that says that Justice Thomas has a very wealthy friend who has taken Justice Thomas on uh, like trips and holidays together and that he has failed to report this as required by the law. The problem being there's absolutely no such requirement of any of this or hasn't been for the, for the entirety of his time as a justice and that these types of trips have been taken by other justices. I mean, uh, I think Justice Brewer took like 235 such trips that weren't reported, you know, I mean, weren't reported officially. Um, and so it's trying to make, it's trying to impeach an unimpeachable character, which is what I would say about Justice Thomas. Hemingway believes that the argument about what Justice Thomas did or did not disclose is simply a distraction because she believes it's not about his finances. He actually put out a statement saying that when uh, he had this friendship that had this type of aspect to it, he talked to advisors about what he needed to report and what he didn't need to report and was told he didn't need to report this. Um, But it's not really about this anyway. None of this is about Justice Thomas having a super wealthy friend. I want to just make one other point, though. Justice Thomas is probably one of the least wealthy Supreme Court justices in history. He's known for, in fact, taking his RV around the country when he goes on vacation and parking it in a Walmart parking lot because those are the kinds of people he likes to hang out with. The idea that this guy is corrupted by having, like, one wealthy friend is is ridiculous. But, again, it's not about that. It's about the fact that Justice Thomas is very clear in his legal reasoning that he's an important presence on the court in a manner that liberals would like him not to be. The Federalist editor explains what she believes the attacks on Justice Thomas are really about. This is a black man, and he very much, even his, even probably some of the disagreements that you have, such as on substantive due process, are related to his, uh, his care and concern for certain provisions as they relate to the history of black Americans. And he comes out very differently than how white liberals would like him to come out. And they tried saying for years that he didn't do anything. And it turned out that he was having so much effect on the court, shaping his jurisprudence so much that that became a laughable lie. And now they're just trying to tear him down and get rid of him. They, they've done, they've been obsessed with wanting to get rid of him, you know, since, since he was first even hinted at as a nominee. Hemingway also warns that attacks on the courts are increasing in order to try and delegitimize them. We knew how the left would never stop trying to destroy this man. That when he made it onto the court, they did not view that as a victory that should chasten them in any way. They knew they would just continue their project, and they have tried to tear him down for decades. The Kavanaugh operation was a repeat of the Thomas operation, which is why anyone who saw it happening should have known it from the moment it started, that this was just the same thing we saw as uh, with Justice Thomas. But it does seem that the left's attacks on the courts are increasing. 
that they are getting more brazen. And I do worry about it because the courts are the one institution that they have not been able to completely overtake. One critic of Justice Thomas, Democrat Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, is now facing some major backlash of her own. After calling for Justice Thomas to be impeached, many pointed out that the New York Congresswoman is currently under investigation for her own ethics violations due to the allegations that Ocasio-Cortez likely received impermissible gifts associated with her attendance at the Met Gala in September of 2021. The event where she wore that infamous Eat the Rich dress. Manhattan's Democrat district attorney sues the House Judiciary Committee's GOP chair on Tuesday over the case against former President Donald Trump. Daybreak Insider's Edwin Mora has more on this brewing fight between the Manhattan DA and the Republican-led House. New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg filed a lawsuit against Republican Congressman from Ohio Jim Jordan over a, quote, brazen and unconstitutional attack, end quote, on his ongoing investigation into Trump. The former president and his allies in Congress have accused Bragg of political motivations in his prosecution of Trump over alleged hush money payments. GOP leaders in the House have launched their own probe into Bragg's conduct. Lawyers for Bragg are seeking to block a subpoena of Mark Pomerantz, who led the investigation into Trump for the the DA before he resigned over disagreements with Bragg. Edwin Mora, Washington. On Monday, Mr. Jordan's committee announced its plans for the field hearing in New York on April 17. It intends to suggest that Mr. Bragg is focusing on the prosecution of Donald Trump rather than Manhattan's skyrocketing crime rate. Events in the banking system over the past two weeks are likely to result in tighter credit conditions for households and businesses, which would in turn affect economic outcomes. The International Monetary Fund is raising concerns about a potential credit crunch due to a mix of the Fed raising interest rates again in hopes of trying to quell ongoing inflation and the recent bank collapses like Silicon Valley Bank of California. IMF Chief Economist Pierre-Olivier Gorinches said, quote, Below the surface, financial market turbulence is building, and the world economic situation is quite fragile, end quote. The IMF suggests that by raising interest rates again, the Fed would be heightening the risk of a hard economic landing by compounding the credit crunch's cooling effect on the economy. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said at the central bank's March meeting that recent banking sector turmoil could result in banks becoming more strict in extending credit. In other words, a credit crunch is coming. The concern stems from the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank in California and Signature Bank in New York, both of which failed when a flood of customers rushed to get their money out. As access to credit shrinks, businesses can get squeezed, and that can have a domino effect. Mark Zandi of Moody Analytics explains what a credit crunch really is. A a credit crunch is the inability of households and businesses to get the credit that they need. Zandi breaks down what would happen should a credit crunch hit the U.S. economy. If businesses can't get a loan, they can't uh, pay uh, their employees, they can't pay their bills, they can't 
uh, go out and expand. They can't invest. If, if households can't get a loan, they can't get a car, they can't get a mortgage, they can't buy an appliance, they can't do a home improvement. And, you know, of course, that means the economy is going to be weaker, struggling because of all that. However, Zandi does offer a little good news, saying that what we're experiencing now is small potatoes compared to the financial crisis of 2008. In this case, uh, it's the problems are uh, largely among small and mid-sized banks uh, here in the United States. Uh, in the financial crisis, it was every financial institution on the planet, small, mid Big, big uh, uh, financial institutions. So the scale of what we're experiencing right now is nothing in comparison to what we suffered during the financial crisis back in 2008, 9, and 10. Critics of the Fed point out that the central bank has a record of being caught flat-footed by major economic events, most recently in the form of being blindsided by the country's inflation surge to 40-year highs and the trouble with some regional banks. The Biden administration will propose new strict automobile pollution limits this week. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens has more on this developing story. The new rules would mandate that at least 54% of new vehicles sold in the U.S. be electric by 2030, ramping up quickly to as high as 67% by 2032. That according to industry and environmental officials briefed on the plan. The proposed regulation by the Environmental Protection Agency would set greenhouse gas emissions limits for the 2027-2032 model years that would far exceed the goals the auto industry agreed to in 2020. 21. Tasha Stevens reporting. New York City police bring back a controversial crime-fighting tool, a digital robot dog. Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker is in Manhattan with more on RoboDog. Mayor Eric Adams could barely take his eyes off the 70-pound yellow and black robo-dog that's a little bigger than a German shepherd and has been described as creepy-looking. Technology is here. Uh, We cannot be afraid of it. Criticized by civil rights activists as dystopian and another tool to aggressively police and surveil New Yorkers. If a person has a loved one that is in a hostage situation, they want a digi-dog, a real dog, and anything else they can get. Police are getting to other tech tools, K5 robots, which look like larger versions of R2-D2, and Star Chase GPS trackers, so police can follow without a chase. Julie Walker, New York. And finally, you're never too old to start a new hobby. Or in the case of 78-year-old Bonnie Gooch of Missouri, you're never too old to try to hold up a bank. The sneaky septuagenarian has been charged with attempted robbery, and it's not her first run-in with the law. You know, most 78-year-olds are posting pictures of their grandkids on Facebook, but not Bonnie Gooch. Nope. At age 78, Bonnie allegedly robbed a bank last week in Harrisonville, Missouri. Police say she slid the teller a note demanding 13,000 in small bills and closing with, thank you, sorry, didn't mean to scare you. She allegedly wore an N95 mask with sunglasses and plastic gloves and surveillance video caught her banging on the counter, asking the teller to hurry up. (laughs) Police stopped her two miles away. They say she reeked of alcohol and cash was all over the floorboards of the car. Last we heard, Bonnie Gooch was still in jail on the current charge. This isn't the first time Granny Gooch 
has seen the inside of a jail cell. She was convicted of robbing a California bank in 1977. She was also convicted of robbing a bank in the Kansas City suburb of Lee's Summit in 2020. Gooch was placed on probation as a result of her second conviction, which ended in November 2021. Currently, she's jailed on $25,000 bond. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. 